If you have your Bibles with you tonight, I invite you to open them, please, to the book of Proverbs as we continue in a sermon series entitled, God Speaks. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. When God speaks, we should listen. I hope that you read your Bible. I hope that you have a time every day where you get alone in the Word and listen to what God has to say to you. May I encourage you, no matter where you might be reading each and every day, that you always include some readings from Psalms and Proverbs. You see, Psalms is one of the few books in the Bible that exclusively deals with man's relationship to God. You want to know how to get along with God? Read the book of Psalms, because it's all about how to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And also, the book of Proverbs is also a book of relationship as well. Psalms teaches us how to get along with God, relationship that is vertical. Proverbs teaches us how to get along with our fellow man, how to have peace with your fellow man, how to be happy with your fellow man. It teaches us about the horizontal relationships of this life. Dr. Billy Graham was a student of the Bible, and every day he would read from Psalms, relationship with God, from Proverbs, relationship with man. And maybe it's no secret then why Dr. Graham was so close to the Lord and got along and was respected by so many people. Tonight, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. God speaks on righteousness. God speaks on holiness. God speaks on integrity. Proverbs 11, verse 3. The righteousness, the integrity... The holiness of the upright shall be their guide. But the wickedness or the perversiveness of transgressors shall be their destruction. The integrity of the upright shall be their guide to safety. The wickedness or pervasiveness of transgressors or the wicked shall be a road that leads them to destruction. I want to take you back to the year 1929. Some of you may have been there. You don't have to raise your hand. We know who you are, believe me. <laughs> but in 1929, the city of Chicago had a problem. The problem's name was Al Capone. Capone was a gangster. He was a wicked man who was running out of Chicago a bootleg business, selling whiskey, and he was making millions of dollars doing it. He also was in control of all the brothels. He was running prostitution rings out of the Windy City as well. Politicians who got in his way, no problem, he bought them off. Policemen who tried to interfere with his operation, no problem. He bought them off. And if he couldn't buy you off, he'd kill you off. The man had no scruples. He was going to control Chicago, and he was going to do whatever is necessary 
to keep that control. He was a crime boss. And he operated without any problem. He operated with impunity until a young treasury agent was assigned to his case. This young treasury agent who came out of Washington, his name was Elliot Ness, and he took a team of federal agents with him to Chicago. Their task, bust Al Capone and put him in prison for life. Capone heard about Ness coming from Washington, and Capone did what he always did. He offered to buy Ness off. Ness made $2,800 a year, $2,800 a year in 1929. Capone offered him over $100,000 a year. Wow, over 50 times his salary if he would just turn his head and ignore Capone's operations. But Ness could not be bought. He couldn't be bribed by no amount of money. Capone then turned to his second tactic. He tried to murder Elliot Ness. Repeatedly, he sent hitmen after the treasury agent. And though they tried over and over and over again, they never could kill Elliot Ness. In fact, because he couldn't be bribed and he couldn't be killed, he was called a nickname, the Untouchable. And his federal team became the Untouchables. Now, because of Elliot Ness's stand for righteousness, his refusal to be bought, bullied, or bribed from doing what was right, Al Capone was convicted. He wasn't convicted of bootlegging whiskey. He wasn't convicted of running prostitution rings. He wasn't convicted of murdering scores of people, though he did all of that. You know what put Al Capone away? He didn't pay his taxes. <laughs> How true it is today. Whatever you do, just pay your taxes and you'll be all right. <laughs> well, Al Capone went away for life. And Elliot Ness and his men became a team of legends team that was known for its integrity in his day. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe God wants us to be untouchables. I believe he wants us to be a team of legends who are known for our integrity, known for our righteousness, known for our holiness, a people in a church that can't be bought, can't be bribed, can't be bullied, can't be beaten out of doing what's right. Come rain, shine, sleet, or snow, we're always going to do what is right. Men and women of Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the prophet Micah said, O man, what is good? 
What does the Lord require of you, O man? But to do rightly, and to love mercifully, and to walk humbly with God. What does God require of us if we want to be men and women of integrity and righteousness and holiness? If we want to be legends, if we want to be untouchables, that we do what is right, we love with mercy, and we walk with humility before God. Do you know that righteousness is a choice? Every day we're confronted with choices. And the choices can lead us toward doing what's right, or the choices can lead us to doing what's wrong. The choices can lead us to holiness. The choices can lead us to wickedness. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. I want you to see how the writer of Proverbs goes back and forth as he talks about people who make choices for righteousness and people who make choices for wickedness. Look at verse 5. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way. But a contrast is given. The wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. Verse 6. The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them. Contrast. But the transgressors shall be taken and their own naughtiness. Verse 8. The righteousness, the righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead. Verse 9. A hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the knowledge of righteousness, the just shall be delivered. Verse 10. When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there is shouting. Verse 11, by the blessing of the upright or the righteous, a city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. The writer of Proverbs is giving us a contrast. If you're righteous, this is what will happen. If you're wicked, this is what will happen. But the implication is, as he gives us these contrasts, is that we make the choice. We can make the choice to be righteous. We can make the choice to be men and women of integrity. Or we can make the choice to be wickedness. We can make the choice to be scoundrels, if you will, morally and spiritually. A Barna survey was taken some years ago. And Barna took two groups of people and asked them some questions. Group number one was people who claimed to believe the Bible and to have had a born-again experience. Okay? That's group one. The other group was people who did not claim to believe the Bible in whole or not at all. Okay? They were people who could be religious. They were people who could be secular but they did not believe in the Bible as authority. They did not believe in the Bible as a fixed standard of truth. They didn't all believe in the Lord Jesus Christ either. And so you have these two groups, Bible-believing, born-again Christians, non-Bible-believing, secular and or religious people. And they were asked, how likely 
would it be that they would participate in immoral sex? And I'll ask you that question too and myself. What are the percentages that you would ever participate in immoral sex, whatever that definition would be? What is the likeliness that you would view pornography? Softcore, hardcore, but you would actually view pornography. Or purchase pornographic things. What is the likelihood that you would tell a lie? Or you would cheat somebody? Or you would steal from somebody? What is the likelihood that you could do that or would do that? What's the likelihood that you would slander somebody's name? Destroy their reputation, gossip about them, verbally hurt them with accusations and allegations that you know aren't true. Or even if you know they're true, you do it anyway. What's the, what's the chances of you or I doing that? What's the chances of you and I drinking alcohol? Bellying up to a bar and having a Johnny Walker Red. Popping the top and having a can of beer. Popping the cork on a bottle and drinking a bottle of wine. What, what's the likelihood that we would engage in alcoholic beverage consumption? Or even become a drunk. Now that those questions were asked to these two groups. The Bible believing. Born again believer group. The non-Bible believing. Secular religious group. And it's interesting what came back in their answers. 78%. Almost 8 out of every 10 of those that would be in the non-Bible-believing, secular religious group, 78% of them said the likelihood of them participating in any, some, or all of those activities was likely. 78%. 78 78% said we see no problem in certain situations engaging in immoral sex, We see no problem viewing pornography. We have no problem lying, cheating, or stealing if it will bring advantage to us in business or in life. We have no problem slandering somebody, gossiping about somebody, destroying somebody's reputation. We have no problem drinking. 78% of them said that. On the Bible-believing, born-again Christian side, only 12% said they would ever think about doing any of that. Now, what is my point in all this? Righteousness is a choice. But righteousness and those who practice righteousness seem to have something in common. They have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And they believe the Bible is the Word of God And it should not only be heard, but heeded. In other words, righteousness is a choice to them. But that choice 
is predicated by their love for Jesus Christ and their love for the Bible. They worship Christ and they believe the Bible to be true. And therefore, their desire to practice righteousness is able to advance where the other crowd, it's not. A great Russian theologian said something very interesting along this same line. He said, once you remove the Lord of the Scriptures from your life and reject his word, anything becomes permissible. And maybe that is the explanation for what we're seeing in our nation. Maybe that's the explanation for what we're seeing in our society. Because as I said this morning, we have refused the light and we're embracing the darkness. Once you remove the Lord of Scriptures from your life, once you reject the truth of His Word, anything is permissible. Whatever you want to do is permissible. As I close our message, that brings us to a million-dollar question. How can we have righteousness? How can we have holiness? How can we have integrity? How can we be called the untouchables of our day? Wickedness can't buy us. Transgressions can't captivate us. How can we have this kind of righteousness? How can we be legends of integrity in a world where integrity is sadly lacking. Well, let me give you some ways real quick tonight because the Bible has much to say about righteousness. First of all, we will have righteousness when we have a born-again experience with Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight without Jesus Christ, I don't care how sincere you are, how moral or spiritual you want to be, how much passion you have to want to do right. Look at me. You can't do it. There is no righteousness in a man who's not born again. Only wickedness. Now, some of us will be more wicked than others. I guess some of us could be a good wicked. <laughs> Others of us can be a bad wicked, but we're still wicked. People without Jesus Christ have no righteousness in them. There's nothing in them to do the things they might want to do in regard to righteousness. They have nothing to do it with. When Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said to this man, who was probably the most religious man that Jesus ever stood face to face with. He said to this religious man, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. Boy, you could have heard a pin drop that day. Because if anybody was going to heaven, Nicodemus had to go. But Jesus said, no, he's not going to heaven 
he cannot go to heaven because he does not have the righteousness to go to heaven without being born again. What does it mean to be born again? It means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. It means to repent of your sin. It means to have an invasion of God's spirit into your human spirit. It means to be saved. It means to be changed by the power of God himself operating from inside out of you. With that born-again experience, God brings His righteousness into our wickedness. I'm not righteous in myself. I'm righteous in Christ. And so are you. And because He lives in us, and we have His righteousness, we now have the motivation, but not just the motivation, the power to do what we want to do. When you're unsaved, you may not want to commit immoral sex, but if you're tempted, you're going to fall. You have nothing in you not to fall. You may not want to lie, cheat, and steal, but when you're unsaved, there's nothing in you to keep you from doing it. It's only when God's Spirit comes inside of us and brings His righteousness that we have the ability not only to want to do something, but to do it. He gives us the will and the do. Of his good pleasure. So if we're going to be righteous, we've got to be born again. You say, Pastor, why are you telling us that? We're all Baptist people at Miles Road Baptist. I know you are. And do you know sometimes those who have religion are the hardest people to convince that they need a Savior? You know, it's easier sometimes to take a drunk in the gutter and bring him to Jesus than to bring a church member sitting in a pew every Sunday. Because many people who claim to be Christians, all they've got is religion, a brand of religion that was given to them, and they believe that brand of religion makes them safe. Listen to me. Nicodemus had more religion than every one of us combined in this auditorium will have tonight. And yet Jesus said to him, unless you're born again, you'll never see heaven. He says that to us tonight. Just because you believe in God, that's not salvation. That's not being born again. Just because you try to be good and you're better than most people at being good, that doesn't mean you're born again. Just because you walked an aisle, said a prayer, was baptized, that doesn't mean you've been born again. You can do all of that and not go to heaven. And many people sitting in churches all across America are going to find that out one day, sadly, to say. You must be born again. If we're going to have righteousness in us, that we might live righteous lives, be people of integrity, be untouchables, be legends of holiness, integrity, we must be born again. And I'm asking you, have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I can't remember. if then If you can't remember it, you're not. If you're married, you can remember being married, right? If you can't remember it, don't say anything to your wife sitting next to you. She'll murder you and I'll have to bury you on Thursday. And I already got plans. And the daycare refrigerator's full, so I can't put you in there. 
Just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but if you're married, you know you're married. You know when you got married. You know who you married. You know all the particulars of it. And if you're born again, you know you're born again. Because you were there and God was there and you remember what took place. And if somebody asked to tell it to you, if someone asked to prompt your memory, if all you can remember is mumbling a prayer and walking the aisle and being baptized, I'm telling you, you need to be saved. We must be born again. Secondly, if we're going to have this righteousness, we must believe God's word and behave according to its commands and counsel. We must believe what this book says about integrity and righteousness and holiness. You see, we live in a day of opinions. I have an opinion, you have an opinion, they have an opinion, and all opinions are equal, right? Well, they really are. By the way, opinions are a dime a dozen. You, you can buy them anywhere. I was in Bilo's yesterday, and you know they had opinions for sale? Had them on sale. Buy one, get one, a BOGO. I'm just kidding you. Some of you are going to walk out and say, I didn't see that. <laughs> the Bible's the Word of God. It gives us our instructions on how to be righteous and holy, how to be a people of integrity. And when God says yes, help yourself, that's what we need to do. And when God says no, don't go there, that's what we need to do. Righteousness doesn't have to be guessed. It doesn't have to be an opinion. God clearly states what's righteous in the book. He clearly states what's holy in the book. He clearly instructs us on how we're to walk with integrity in a world that has none. It really doesn't matter what I say or Sam says or anybody else says. What matters is what does God say? What does God say about immorality? What does God say about a foul mouth? What does God say about lying, cheating, and stealing? What does God say about abortion? What does God say about pornography? What does God say about gambling? What does God say about all of these social and moral issues that we're facing? It's all in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. And if we're going to be a people of righteousness, we need to have a born-again experience. We need to be changed from the inside out by the power of a living God. We need to also have an understanding of the Bible. We need to read it, and we need to heed it. We need to believe it. We need to practice it. Thirdly, if we're going to be a righteous people, if we want to be on the untouchable board of heaven, if we want to be legends of integrity, maybe in God's hall of holiness, hall of fame. Thirdly, we must avoid people, places, and things that are unrighteous. You say, Pastor, this is pretty easy stuff you're telling us. I thought you were going to go deep. You don't need to go deep. The problem with most of this, we don't do what the shallow stuff is. And we keep hollering, we want to go deep. Well, do what the shallow stuff says. Living for the Lord isn't hard. It's just a matter of taking what you know and doing it. 
We must be born again. We must believe the Word of God and heed the Word of God. And we must avoid people, places, and things that are unrighteous. Let me give you a quote. Or let me give you a math equation. That's what I need to say. I was pretty good in math. I got D's. <laughs> Righteousness plus unrighteousness equals unrighteousness. Did you get your pastor? Pastor, if I just get that boy, he's not very much right now, but if I just love him and y'all turn him around, I'll make his bad good. No, you won't. He'll make your good bad. When you take righteousness and add unrighteousness to it, you will get unrighteousness. That's why the Bible has much to say about avoiding people, places, and things that are unholy, ungodly, unrighteous. Because if you play with such fire, you are going to get burnt. If you play with a bunch of skunks, you're going to stink like them. You lay in a bed of lice and you're going to get the lice on you. That's the way it is. And some of us think that we are going to beat the odds and somehow change that boy, change that girl, change that friend, change that place, change that thing. And what we find out is we don't change them at all. They change us. So if you want to be righteous... You've got to pick your people you're going to hang around with. That might mean saying goodbye to some of them. It might be saying adios to some places you like to go. Farewell to some things you like to do. Because those things are counterproductive to you living the life of righteousness that you want to live. I think I've told you many years ago I led a drug dealer in Sumter to the Lord. His name was Freddie. Freddie had a million-dollar operation on the East Coast dealing drugs. And he didn't live far from the church. But he came to my office one day, knocked on the door. I was the only one at the church, opened it up, and there he was. And he told me his story, Freddie's story. He told me of the house he lived in, the cars that he owned, the money that he had in the bank. He told me how he made that money through selling of narcotics. He told me of the politicians he had in his pocket, the police officers that turned the other way. He told me the whole story. But he said, I, I have everything, but I have nothing. I have everything. Are you listening to me? But I have nothing. I'm empty. And I'm always worried about somebody killing me. Because everybody always wants to be at the top. And you can't trust anybody in my business. Long story short, Freddie gave his life to Jesus in my office. And I talked to him about this very thing, about, Freddie, you've got to 
back away from some people, places, and things that you're doing. If you're serious about this salvation and wanting to live for Jesus, you've got to walk away from some stuff. Now, he wasn't educated. He is street smart. And I remember what he said to me. He said, Pastor, I know exactly what you're saying. New playground, new playmates. And that's what God's saying to us. If we want to live a righteous life, we might need to pick out some new playgrounds and some new playmates. Because the old playmates and the old playgrounds are just going to pull us down. And then lastly, we're talking about righteousness. Being untouchables, being legends of integrity, shining stars in a world of darkness. We must be born again. We must believe the Bible. And we must practice the doctrines of the Bible, the counsel, commands of the Scriptures. We must avoid certain people, places, and things because they will have a downward pull on us. And then lastly, as I close, we must learn how to resist temptation. Because life is full of temptations. Would you agree with that? There is no temptation that will ever come against us that's not common to all men. But in every temptation, God is faithful. He will provide a way to escape. He will provide a way to engage He will provide a way to endure unto victory. We must learn how to resist temptation because it's out there. Remember when Jesus was confronted by Satan in the wilderness? By the way, those of you who are going to Israel next year with us, you're going to be able to see the wilderness area where Jesus and Satan had their confrontation. We don't know exactly where it was at, but you'll get to see the wilderness area and how bleak and how arid and how deserty it is. But anyway, remember Satan came and he tempted Jesus, did he not? He said, Jesus, you have basic needs. God's not meeting your needs, Jesus. You have to meet them. You need to act independent of God, Jesus. You're tired. You're hungry. You're thirsty. Why don't you act on your own accord? Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Why don't you produce water out of the ground? Why don't you do that? God isn't going to help you, but you can do it yourself. Why don't you do that? And what did Jesus do? He refused to act independent of God. My God will take care of me. My God shall meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I'll wait on him. He resisted fleshy pleasure by waiting on God and trusting God to take care of his needs. And then you remember Satan took him up to the top of the temple. And said, Jesus, you want to be somebody, don't you? Don't you want to be a hero? Jesus, why don't you just do a swan dive off the top of this temple? You go to Israel, you go to Jerusalem, you'll see the temple we're talking about. I mean, it's way up. 
And Satan said, Jesus, just take a jump off. Because the scriptures say, if you do that, the angels will catch you. That's not exactly what the scriptures say. The devil twists the scriptures. But Jesus declined. For he knew that in his father's time, the father would reveal to him who he was. He didn't need the applause of people as he jumped off the temple. One day he would have the worship of people, as we see in Revelation 4 and 5. And then remember Satan said, Jesus, I'll give you this world. And he showed him all the capitals of the world in a vision and said, Jesus, you don't have to wait on these things. I'll give them to you. Just fall down and worship me, and I'm the God of this world, and I'll give it to you. You can have the crown without the cross. Aren't you glad Jesus said no? It'll all be mine one day anyway. I'm going to the cross, then I'll get my crown. And it will not be a temporary crown. It will not be a, a Stephanos crown. It will be a diadem. I will be a king forever. And each time Jesus rebuked Satan's temptations for pleasure and pride and propaganda, what did he use against the devil? Help me out. Scripture. He requoted the word of God back at Satan. And the word of God is powerful as a two-edged sword. And that sword struck Satan three times and he fled. Ladies and gentlemen, when temptation comes against us, we need to know the word of God. And bring the word of God against the one who is tempting us. Does that make sense to you? problem is we don't know the word of God to bring it back against him. We're a swordless soldier. That's not a good place, to, that's not a good position to be in when you're fighting a battle. You've got to have a weapon. The weapon is the sword. Pastor, I want to be righteous. Pastor, I've I'm born again. I know Jesus is my personal Savior. No doubt about it. I can remember when I was born again. And pastor, I believe the Bible, and I try to live the Bible to the best of my ability. It's not just an intellectual book that I fill my head with. It's a book that I try to fill my life with. As I read the Bible, I want people to read me and see I'm the real deal. And pastor, I, I'm trying to avoid people, places, and things. I really am trying. And pastor, I'm resisting temptation. I used to fall every time, but now I've got stronger and I'm able to say no. I'm able to use the word of God to help me out in situations and circumstances where I'm being overwhelmed. But pastor, I've fallen. In a moment of weakness or wickedness, I fell. Do you have a word for me? I do. Get back up. 
Success is not measured by how many times we fall. Success is measured by how many times we get up. Walter Payton is considered one of the greatest running backs the NFL has ever produced. He played for the Chicago Bears. In his career, he ran for 15,800 yards. That's a lot. Every time he touched the football, he gained four and a half yards. Every time the man was handed the football, the pigskin, he was good for four and a half yards. Now you can do the math. 15,800 yards in his career. Every time he touched the ball, he gained about four and a half yards. That means he got knocked down over 3,400 times. He was given the ball, gained four and a half yards, bomb, knocked down. Got back up, next play, handed the ball, gained another four and a half yards, boom, knocked down, got back up. You understanding what I'm saying to you? Greatness in the NFL is how many times you get back up. Greatness in life is how many times you get back up. And greatness for Jesus is how many times you get back up. Don't you stay down and be whiny. Get back up and be a winner. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you tonight that we can be an Elliot Ness of our faith. We can be one of the untouchables. We can be legends of integrity. We can be such a people that we cannot be driven to wickedness, but we will stand for righteousness. And Lord, I pray tonight out of this congregation would come Hall of Famers who one day will be in heaven and their name will be enshrined because in a wicked, perverse generation, they chose to be righteous. I pray this in Jesus' name.